Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest again today, I say again, repeat guest, is David Barnett. David, welcome back to the show. Hey, Henry. It's great to be here. Thanks for having me once again. Absolutely. I'm excited about this, uh, excited about continuing to work with you. I've known David for number of years now. You were one of my early guests. You've been on the show, I think, at least two times. Um, so thanks for coming back. And in today's episode, we're going to focus on how to buy a business. We've chatted about this on the show before. In fact, I've had David on the show before on this specific topic, but it's such a big one, right? I mean, we, you work with clients every day on buying businesses and you're an expert on this. And so that's why I've decided to partner with David to help myself and, and my audience and my clients with that expertise. So that's what we're going to focus on in this episode. If you want to receive more information about the How of Business, including links to the show notes page, and we've got a free download that we're going to talk about in this episode. It's called Six Stupid Things People Do When Trying to Buy a Business. And so I think you're going to want that. But if you want that, as well as a webinar that we're going to tell you about that's coming up, just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I'll send you the link to all of that. Uh, so let me tell you again about David. For those of you who may not have listened to his previous appearances on The How of Business, he's an entrepreneur. He's a small business author, a consultant, a real estate investor, a mentor. He's been a mentor to me and an expert in the areas of buying, selling, and financing, especially creative financing options for small businesses. Uh, he's had a successful careers. Uh, it started his first business in 2005, sold that business, and that's then what got him interested in that whole helping others to buy and sell. He was a business broker for a period of time. And now he focuses, as I said, through his coaching and his online programs, he focuses on helping people buy, sell, and finance small businesses. And so um, he's, he's got a show as well, a podcast, the Small Business and Deal-Making Podcast. That's a great show that I've listened to. And so he lives in Canada, in New Brunswick. You're still in New Brunswick, right? Yeah, 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 on the East Coast. On yeah. the East Coast. And we were just chatting about a trip he just had. We'll, we'll chat about that in a moment. So once again, David, welcome back to the show. Thanks, Henry. Good to be here. Absolutely. You're back home. We were just chatting about your, your recent trip with your kids to the West Coast of Canada, right? Yeah, it was, it was a big adventure. Uh, we spent a lot of time planning it. And um, we decided to, even though it took a lot of time, we decided to take the train so that we could enjoy seeing everything along the way. And I didn't have to hang on to a wheel the whole time. That's right. How long were you gone? We, it was a three-week vacation. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's the first vacation that's been longer than two weeks, I think, for me in maybe wow. 10 15 years. 
What happened, I'm just curious, you know, because this is one of the things I just got back from a, a week of taking my daughter back up to school. And I always, I always give these as examples of why we're entrepreneurs, right? Why we're, why we own our own business. But what happened to your business while you were gone for three weeks? I mean, you, you have a virtual business. Uh, so how did that work? I'm curious. Well, I mean, a lot of the work that I do with clients, like uh, group meetings and things that we do online, I simply scheduled them for a round. Right. Um, my travel. Um, I did do one group call while I was in Vancouver from the hotel room. Yeah. And, you know, with the technology we have today, uh, it's not like I, I left for three weeks and then came home to a thousand emails. Right. You know, every day I was able to use my iPhone and just you know, delete the spam and reply to some people. And I had an auto responder on my email saying when I would be back. And I did actually reach back out to some people and send them a calendly link so they could schedule an appointment for, you know, the week I got back. Mm -hmm. So it, it's amazing. You, you can't really get work done, but you can kind of manage the flow of what's going on well enough so that when you return, you don't face that mountain of, of work and worry that, uh, that I think you know, often probably has kept me from taking long vacations in the past. Yeah, no, no doubt. Very well said. And and I think, again, that's when we, I'm sure when you're on that trip, as I was when I was on my trip, we feel like how fortunate are we that we have this flexibility, that we can choose to do this and spend these times, like you were saying before we started recording, creating these memorable trips that that last a lifetime, right? And that's the whole point. You know, one, one of the the main things in my personal mission is to make sure that, that I raise happy, healthy children and I want to create those childhood memories for them. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. So um, let's uh, talk about the webinar. We're excited. I'm excited about a joint webinar that David and I are going to be conducting. And so let me tell you about this. Let me, let me just read some of the stuff I have here because there's a lot that's going to be shared in this webinar. But again, it's a joint webinar on the topic of buying a small business. And so we're going to cover a lot of details. It's about an hour long. We might go a little longer depending on questions and answers. And that's the key thing. When mm -hmm. we do a podcast, it's, it's one way we're sharing with you information. But on this webinar, when you participate, when you join us, you'll be able to ask questions, ask your specific questions. So it's an opportunity for us to be much more interactive and really get deeper in this webinar on the topic of helping you buy a business. We're going to talk about the advantages and disadvantages of buying an existing business. Uh, the high-level process, you know, David helps people through this process on a regular basis. That's what he does with his clients, and in large part, I've been through it. He's been through it. So we'll share kind of at a high level what that looks like. Is a lot of times it's it can be confusing. Uh, who do you need on your team? So we'll talk about that, um, and then um, we're going to share with you. David has a series of online programs, and we're going to have a special bundle offer only for people who join us for the webinar. That is a great opportunity to take advantage of David's online programs to help you get ready to buy your own business. Just like anything, the reason you listen to a podcast, the reason all of you listen and read and educate yourself, you got to continue to learn and it's a continuous process. But as you're getting ready to buy a business, in particular, if it's your first business venture, you just got to feed your brain, right? You got to learn as much as you can. And so podcasts like this, David's shows, and the webinar are a great opportunity. It's going to be free, but you do need to register because we're going to have limited uh, spots available so that we can interact with everybody who's on it who wants to ask questions. 
It's October 9th. So it's coming up October 9th. Make a note of that. It's going to be at 7 p.m. Central Time, U.S. Central Time. And it's going to go for about 60 minutes. Did I leave anything else out, David, about what we're going to do on that uh, webinar? No, you summed it up. We're we're going to talk today about some of these things about buying a business, but get into a lot more depth during the webinar. That's right. Okay. So if you're interested, you can go to our websites, but the best thing to do is just to text us, text me, text the word biz, B-I-Z to 31996 and you'll get back a link that you can click on and go right to the registration page. So it's very easy. You don't have to remember to do this when you get home. I know I listen to podcasts at the gym or when I'm on a walk. So just text biz to 31996 and I'll send you the link. Or of course, you can always go to the howabusiness.com and you'll find information there. So join us for that webinar. But let's get into it now. Let's talk about some of these topics at a very high level. Um, this is going to be a shorter episode of the How of Business because we've already done the history of David and his background. You want to go back and listen to one of those episodes where I chat with him of how he got to where he is today. But let's start with David, I thought, at a high level, buying versus building. And, and you and I have chatted about this. I I, lend, I tend to lean towards build, although more and more here lately, I've come around a little bit. And of course, I've bought businesses. But the reason I tend to lean, lean towards build is I'm that type of, uh, I'm the creative type who wants it to be entirely my vision. I want every single thing to be my way, every paint color, every detail. And so I get hung up on that. But let's start with that concept at a high level, how you help people between buy versus build. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I think I think one of the things though that we should we should just talk about here briefly first is that the type of person who would start a business, um, I call them entrepreneurs. But the type of person who would buy a business, what they they do need to have entrepreneurial aspects to them because they're going to be running a business. But I actually label them investors because okay. what they're doing is they're saying, I'm going to hand across the table a sum of money, maybe it's from my own bank account or it's borrowed, et cetera. And then what do I then get in return? And so you may have had a, a meeting with someone, a financial planner, a banker, someone talking about mutual funds or bonds or you know CDs or something. And that was the conversation you had. If I give this money over to you guys, what do I get in return? And, and that's kind of the, the different mindset that a business buyer has versus someone who's eager to start their own thing. And, you know, very quickly, I hope I'm not giving away too much here, but there are two things you need to be successful in business. You need to have paying customers and you need to have a product or service that they want and the systems in place to deliver it in a repeatable, successful fashion. Right. So I often use the example of a dry cleaner. You know, you could go and you could buy all that equipment and you could lease a spot and you could set up a dry cleaning place. But until you figure out how to give Mr. Jones back the same pair of trousers he brought in, you won't be successful. <laughs> right. That's, and that's where the system comes into place. And, you know, you can, you can start a business from scratch and try to figure it all out on your own. Um, you had mentioned briefly there franchises. And so right. this is what a franchise tries to bring to the table is they bring you that system. You know, here's how you run the business in a successful way. Um, but even a new franchise can't deliver the customers. And, and this is what an existing business has, is it's already got the clientele in place and there's the product or service that they want and the systems have been worked out. And not only that, you know, the team that's there, those employees, well, 
they come along with it, right? And so you don't even have to train people on how to do this properly. The team's already going to be functioning. So, so, so that's the big reason why I like buying an existing business over starting one is because we already have that, you know, if it's a good business, we've got that profitability already locked in on day one. I love that. Yeah. I like that perspective of the being, looking at it like an investor. It's interesting where I thought you were going with the entrepreneur thing, which I'm sure you, you believe as well, is that a lot of times when we start our own business, we're, we're not entrepreneurial in that usually we are leveraging a skill that we have or an experience that we have and, and we're working in the business and it's not until you start working on the business that we separate ourselves from the day to day, I think is part of how we become an entrepreneur. But to your point, when you buy an existing business, if it's the right business, it's a lot easier for us to stay separated from the day-to-day -day, as much as it makes sense, hmm. not become the business, right? So to me, that's a definition of entrepreneurship versus business ownership. We're splitting hairs, but that's one of the key things I look at when I think of entrepreneurship as well. But I love that idea of looking at it. You look at it now as an investor as opposed to just a business owner, right? Yeah. Um, and then you touched on it. What's, what's the best fit for me? So what are some of, I shared kind of some of my characteristics and I'll share more in a moment, but what else do you help people identify in themselves that might be a better fit or not a good fit for buying an existing business? Well, you know, there's, there's a great deal of introspection and self-analysis that goes on here. You know, understanding what am I good at? What am I interested in? Mm -hmm. Because not only do you have that investor hat on, often you also have a job seeker hat on because in a lot of the cases, the buyer of a small business is going to become the general manager. Right. So not only does the investment have to make sense, but you have to be able to see yourself being in that environment, running that business and being happy and excited to do so. I always say nothing will kill a business faster than an unenthusiastic owner. Mm -hmm. You know, when, once the desire and passion is gone, the sales are soon to follow. Right. And, and so what kind of business should you be looking for? Here's, here's what I say to people is you look for a business that makes money and is full of problems that you know how to fix. Okay. Okay. So you buy the thing, you buy the business and you pay for what you get. So if you buy a small business and it's got a, a reasonable cash flow and it has problems that you can see, but despite the problems, it's still making money for the current owner, mm. right? So you're going to be able to buy that business and have a positive cash flow. And then you start applying your skills and knowledge to improve the business. And this is where it turns into the great deal. Because so now you, you look for, you recommend looking for businesses that have a bunch of problems, but despite that, they're cash flow positive or they're profitable. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And I'll give you a quick example from a conversation I had just the other day with someone. Uh, a guy's been running a business um, for 20 years. And it's in the, the adventure tourism space. And every time somebody signs up, he collects their email address so he can send them documentation. Mm -hmm. And he sells out his tours every year and does not have an email marketing campaign. <laughs> okay. So, so I'm talking to the buyer and I'm saying, look, you have a list with potentially thousands of people we already know enjoy doing this kind of travel. Right. If you buy this business, you can expand your inventory by, by creating new adventures and then start selling to the people that you know like them. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so this is a classic example and we see them every day because to your point about the technician, the guy who owns this business, 
is an outdoorsy guy who likes to show people the world. And, and his whole focus is on operations, is how to make a great adventure trip. It's not on the sales, yeah. right? And, and a lot of the times, the, the sellers are the technicians. They started the business because they leveraged a certain skill. But the buyers come from a different kind of place. So they come from, for example, middle management of a bigger firm, or they come out of the military. They, they come from a place where systems and procedures are instilled, right. and then they're able to use those skills to systematize the business, and then you can scale. Yeah. Right? How do you, it's interesting, you know, talking about systems for a moment, one of the things that made one of my businesses that I sold now about four years ago, it was my sweet salon business. And I got this feedback very specifically, even from the person who ended up buying it and people who, who ended up uh, being in the running, but then didn't, uh, didn't buy the business was the fact that we had these very clear, clean, functional systems in place. It wasn't a very complex business, but nonetheless, it goes to show like we had a front desk manual that showed the receptionist how to do everything from opening this, this place to closing it to running the retail to all of it was all documented. The back office was all documented step by step. Um, it's amazing how much value that had. How do I, how do I though, how do you help someone to keep from buying an existing business? It does, like you said, it needs some help. It needs some things that are wrong with being fixed. How do I keep from becoming then the technician from diving into it so much that now I've just created a, a paying, a low paying job for myself, right? How do I avoid that? Well, it's just a matter of discipline and having a plan going in. Mm -hmm. You know, when you sold that business, you are, you know, an, an expert, a, a scholar on the topic of how do these businesses work? Right. So you knew that doing this kind of exercise was going to, number one, give you a better business to run while you owned it. And would it help the resale? Well, it couldn't hurt the resale. Right. Right. And, and so, so you undertook that because you knew that there were benefits for you in the present. Maybe there were benefits in the sale. What, what I always tell people when they want to get ready to sell a business is say, look, do the organization, not because it's going to help the sale, yeah. because it's going to make your business better today. Of course. And, and all of these people who are burned out and stuff, it's because they don't have those systems worked out. The, the buyer who's going to go into something and, and, and buy the business, they're, you know, they're going, if they're going to be a, an investor, then they're going to have to look at this thing as an asset. You know, there have been buyers that I've met who are technicians themselves, you know, and so they, the guy who knows roofing buys the roofing company from the guy who knew roofing. Right. Nothing much is going to change. Nothing's going to change. They're yeah. just going to trade places. And so it, it requires a certain cognizant effort on the part of the investor mm -hmm. to say, this is why I'm buying this business and this is what I plan to do. And yeah, you're going to have to roll up your sleeves probably in the beginning and try every job so you know exactly how it works. But that, that organizational part is key to getting to the next level. Yeah. E even if you start a business and, you know, I've, I've met many people who've started a business and then later learned some of these skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Right. They start to bang their head against the wall and realize I need to change if things are going to change and, and, and they're able to do it themselves at a certain point. That's right. All right. Let's talk about, I think a lot of us listening are familiar with some of these stats and trends, but, but, what is it in part that's going on in your observation, you're out there every day, that is making all these businesses available? Or what, what, tell me a little bit about what's going on out there in the market and businesses that are available to be, to be purchased. So I've been working specifically in helping people buy and sell businesses for over 10 years now. Mm -hmm. 
and nothing has changed. So basically the reason why a small business goes up for sale is because of a pressing personal concern on the part of the owner, right? And, and here's why. Um, small businesses sell for relatively low multiples of earnings. Right. And so no one ever gets excited by learning what their business is going to sell for. You know, you hear about these Silicon Valley entrepreneurs cashing out with, you know, <laughs> huge sums of money. It doesn't happen in the world of small business when no. you know, the most frequent comment I get from business owners when I tell them what their business will likely sell for is they just say, well, Dave, I'll, if I just stuck around for a few more years, I can right. have that money anyway. Right. I go, yeah. So why do you need to sell? Because it, it's when they're faced with, you know, a marriage breakdown, health crisis, mm -hmm. you know, uh, any number of personal things, burnout, fatigue, et cetera, or they really do need to retire. That's right. when they're going to actually sell the business. And there are stats out there, but what I've learned is that in looking at each statistic, when you start to ask the right questions, you can start to see that maybe the stat isn't telling the whole story. Um, and the reason is, is that there's no central repository or database of statistics about a business changing hands. You know, in, in the county you live in, there's a land office and they know right. when a property changes hands, right? Yep. Um, but in the world of business, if I create a new legal entity to buy another business in an asset sale, well, and then the sellers wind up their entity, down at the government, they've recorded that as a business start and a business end. Right. Right. They, they, they don't necessarily know that a business was sold. Right. And so there's a lot missing from what we see in the statistics. The, the people who run online websites that help you advertise a business for sale, they have statistics about the businesses that are advertised for of sale course, on their yeah. websites. Right. But what I've seen in my history as a broker and as a consultant is that almost three quarters of businesses change hands without going through any kind of intermediary. So those statistics are only a small glimpse of what's going on. And, and what is scary about those statistics from the websites is that more than half of the businesses that go up for sale are never sold. Never sold. Right. And so there's a lot out there that never quite meets the right threshold for anyone to pull the trigger and, and, and to, to buy. And my mission in, in my work is, is pretty simple is I do what I do to help people avoid bad deals. Um, you know, I started about almost five years ago now creating YouTube videos and I would start to get these emails from people who would say, wow, I wish I'd heard that two years ago. I wish I heard that before I did X and I lost this amount of money. And, and that's the really scary part because, you know, time is money. Money is time. It takes an awful lot of work for you to save up cash to make some kind of down payment on a business. And if something goes wrong with that deal or if something was misrepresented or if something was fraudulent, you know, somebody gets to walk away with a couple of years of your effort. Yeah. And, and that's not a position anyone wants to be in. No. All right. Several things I want to come back to. One is, as you, let's start with common mistakes that you've seen that people mm. make. Um, and we're going to get into more detail on this. And there's the download that we talked about, six, six stupid things that people do when they, when trying to buy a business. We're going to have that as a download uh, on the show notes page for this episode. But what are a couple of those common things that you've seen people repeat again and again over the years when it comes to buying a business? Sure. One of the biggest ones is failing to account for the value of their time. So when, when businesses are sold, they typically use a, a cash flow figure called seller's discretionary earnings. There's a couple other terms that it goes by, 
but it's basically the total amount of cash flow available to a full-time owner operator. So people look at that and let's say it's $100,000 and they say, wow, I can buy this business for 300 grand and it's going to bring me 100,000 a year. Right. What a great rate of return. Mm-hmm. However, if you go to work there every day and you're working 40 or 50 hours a week, part of that cash flow is actually simply your compensation, your compensation. for being a manager, right? So the rate of return actually isn't based on that 100 grand. It's some figure that's less than, right? And so one of the things that I do with my, with my students is we work very diligently on what we call the normalization, where we adjust the income statement, the P&L, and we say, what is a fair market wage for a person that does that work? You know, if the manager of the burger joint should be earning, you know, $45,000 a year, we need to make sure that we're properly looking at that so that we can differentiate between the cash that you're going to earn as the manager of the business versus the profit you're going to get as the investor in the business. And, and I see people make that mistake all the time, unfortunately. Yeah, great delineation. That that goes back to that mentality of looking at this as an investor, as opposed to buying a job, right? Uh, and and I see that I see this happening again and again, David. So I, I agree with you that people miss that um, because we're mixing two things. We're mixing what if I'm going to own or manage the business, but I don't factor in a market salary for that position. If that I'm going to get compensated. And I'm lumping that into the return that I'm going to be way off on calculating what my return on investment is from an investment perspective, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, let's talk about that for a moment from the flip side. What I find almost every time is that sellers are delusional about what their business is worth. And, and they'll, <laughs> I've seen some incredible things with small businesses. I, I worked with a client recently where she was looking to buy a small business and they must have paid a, a pretty penny for it because the, the evaluation report that I got that I reviewed, it was like something you would have seen for, you know, a hundred million dollar manufacturing firm, right? All kinds of ratios. Uh, let me ask it this way. The way that I look at it, and you touched on it, is I like to look at, no secret here, that seller's discretionary income and then apply a multiple to that. Very simple calculation, right? Once you've, like you said, normalized everything and apply a multiple. And I find that for most small businesses, that multiple is anywhere between one and three. What are your thoughts on that? And, and if it needs to be any more complicated than that? Uh, no, uh, the, the, the challenge or the caution is that between one and three is a huge variation. Huge variation. And, and basically it comes down to the risks. So I'll give you a quick example. If you're talking about a small mom and pop sandwich shop, which is only doing a couple hundred thousand dollars in sales, they may be way down at like 1.1, right. right? But if you're talking about a septic pumping business that goes out and serves clients in a rural area, there's limited competition. There's huge barriers to entry with licensing, environmental permits, you know, getting a lease on the big truck and all that kind of thing. And so that business could sell for over three times. Mm-hmm. Because buyers in the past have seen that as a more secure cash flow. Right. So if, if both businesses earned 100 grand, the little restaurant might sell for 110, the septic company could sell for 380, right? It's the same $100,000 of cash flow. It's all about risk. Yeah. And, and this is where rules of thumb create a problem because right. if you apply the wrong rule of thumb, you could end up either overpaying or uh, sometimes sellers will under you know, estimate. Most of the time they overestimate. 
talking to sellers is a whole other thing. Uh, <laughs> when, when I do talk to them, I tell them, look, there are buyers out there right now looking for your business. And what makes buyers from today different from buyers from 30 years ago is the internet, mm. right? And so buyers today are educating themselves. They're learning from guys like me, from guys like you. They're watching videos and they have an idea of what this certain business should, should be worth in a certain industry. And if you ask twice as much, they're just going to say, wow, that guy's crazy. And they're going to walk away. Right. And, and you never get a chance to meet what I call the reasonable buyer, who's the person with the good credit and the home equity and money in the bank and someone who can really make a deal. And, and who they end up meeting are the people who have no idea what they're doing. And they just waste time and do these endless dances. And, and, I, and I often tell these sellers, even if you can get someone to make the deal you want, well, then they go to their banker and their banker explains why it won't work. <laughs> exactly. Right? That's such a great point. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I've had, I've had this happen here recently. You can be as delusional as you want and the buyer might, might join into this party, but then the bank says, no, you're not getting that financing, right? That's, yeah. that's where it really comes to a stop. Now, if you happen to find, if you happen to be a buyer that has all cash and you want to throw it at somebody, then go ahead, right? But the reality, that's where the reality often comes to a screeching halt. Yeah. And unfortunately for those sellers, they, they miss out on the reasonable buyer. That's right. And like I said, businesses go up for sale. Good small businesses go up for sale because of a pressing personal need. And if somebody's under some kind of personal pressure and they drag it out an extra year, well, the danger is, is that personal pressure, whatever that problem is, is going to start causing the business to deteriorate. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and then you get this, this negative feedback loop. Yeah. where the, the, the sales go down, the profits go down. Now the value starts to, to dissolve. And then if the deal can't be done fast enough, you know what? It often goes into liquidation. Yeah. Now you're so, in a fire sale situation. Yeah. They get sold for it. the value of its assets or something. Yeah. And it's, it's negative for everybody. Um, so you've touched on it. So where do I find these businesses that are for sale? Is, is, I mean, I can hire somebody like you. You're not necessarily a broker. You consult people, but you've got a network of, of people, but you help people all around the country, all around the world for that matter. Uh, do I start on something like biz by sell? Do I consider hiring a broker? Where, where do I start? Sure. Um, so brokers typically represent businesses that other people want to sell. So they right. go and they sign up the business owner and then they, they advertise that business for sale. You have to though think about the seller. So the seller wants to sell his business. He's already, if he works with anyone to find out what it's really worth, he's disappointed that it's not worth as much as he thinks, right? Yep. And then he's got to consider about how much he's going to pay a broker. So the, the life cycle of this business for sale goes something like this. Seller decides, yeah, I want to sell, figures out what it might be worth, talks to a broker, finds out what his commission is, <laughs> takes a step back and says, is there anyone else I could sell this to before I sign up with the broker? Right. And if there isn't, then he'll sign up with the broker. And then as soon as the broker gets it, the broker is going to say, how can I get this deal done as fast as possible? So of I can course. get my commission. Of course. And so what that means is the broker is going to go to past buyers who bought similar businesses immediately. And if none of them want to buy it, then it might get on the website. So if you, if you think that I'm going to start to buy a business, Think about this. So there's been multiple opportunities. Think of a cherry tree or, or any kind of fruit tree. Multiple people have had their chance at the tree and they've taken all the low hanging fruit. 
and what's left are the really difficult ones to reach. And so, so in my work with my clients, what I teach is I teach is the further up this chain you can get yourself, the better off you're going to be. And ideally it's having a relationship with a business owner so that when they decide that they want to sell that, you know, you're there and they can talk to you. Okay. So does that, I'm, I'm envisioning that means being connected in my community, uh, re- getting to know business owners of businesses that I would love to own, um, you know, being part of that network. If I'm not a business owner now, uh, somehow I got to get, I got to know in my community, in my area, try to get to know some of these people and put, and put my name in front of them if possible. Is that part of how I start then? Especially yeah. if I have a business. And, so I'm not currently connected in the business community. I got to somehow get out there and network with these people. Is that fair? Right. And, and before that, you have to figure out what kind of business you want. Sure, because, sure. Because of course, yeah. we're talking... You know, when people tell me, when people say to me, sometimes they'll say, I don't know what kind of business I want. Is there a list somewhere of businesses that exist? Right. And I'll say, yes. Uh, go look long and hard and find a copy of the Yellow Pages. <laughs> <laughs> because that really was the most complete listing there was of different. Right. But, but we can, but we can, uh, we can be, we can use the internet. We can use our, you know, observation as consumers. The problem with that, to your point, is often what that leads to is everybody's stuck on restaurants, restaurant, restaurants. Because we go out to eat and say, oh, I'd love to own this. And there's so many other businesses that, that we don't see, right, necessarily. B2B businesses, services business. So we got to expand our thinking. I sometimes think of, though, that a site like BizBuySell, and again, we're not bashing that site necessarily, might be a good place to start to get ideas, businesses that you sure. might have never thought of, and that triggers a thought, hmm, that's interesting. Let me look into not necessarily that business, but that industry or that sector, yeah? Mm-hmm. And and one of the things about a site like that that um, people should be aware of is that some of the listings are being put on there by professional brokers. Yes. And some of the listings are being put on there by individual business owners. Okay. Right. And so there is an inconsistency in the quality of the numbers that you're going to see. Sure. So some people are going to see what is the cash flow and they're going to put in their net income. Right. Other people will put in their EBITDA. Other people will will normalize and put in an SDE. Right. So what what you're looking for when you look at a site like that is you're looking for the type of business mm-hmm. and what I teach in some of my, in, in, in my program is there's certain minimum revenue benchmarks. So if it's a certain kind of business you think you would like and the revenue benchmark meets your criteria, then it probably makes sense to go talk to the person to open okay. that dialogue. I see. But you can't totally trust the cash flow number no. until you know how it's been formulated. Agreed. So one of the things we're going to talk in the webinar, we're going to do a deeper dive on, but to, to bring it up here, it's your point of understanding what type of business is the right fit for you is I like to start with, with the criteria, starting to find what is my, at least what I think my criteria is now. And everybody's is different. And is at different points in your, in your entrepreneurial career, they're going to be different. For me, for example, one of my criteria now is I tend to lean towards either a virtual business or a business that's going to be managed by somebody else. In other words, I don't have to be there day to day because as we started at the outset, you and I are big on some freedom of location, being able to travel, spend time with our kids. Now, like you said also, initially it's heads down, right? Any business I've ever been a part of, that's the only way I've ever seen it is initially for some period of time, it's you got to be all in. But 
that's that starting by that list of criteria of what I'm looking for is often a good way to then narrow down. All right, that means know this, know that, but maybe these kind of businesses. Is that a good place to start? Yes, and I think that the word you used, criteria, is is an important way to to think about it. So, you you don't say I'm looking for, um, you know, an auto repair business. You say. I'm looking for a business that has a lot of customers that do a relatively small amount of transactions or, you know, you know, I'm, you, you frame these characteristics and then here's how it can be helpful. I once had an engineer come in to see me cause he wanted to buy a business and he had worked at a firm where they had five customers and they lost one. Wow. And so the next day, uh, 25% of the staff was let go. Wow. To, to maintain a positive cash flow, right? So when he came into my office, he said, Dave, I'm looking for a business that has a lot of customers that do a small amount of business because he had been burned by customer concentration as an employee. Yeah. And so that was his number one criteria. He ended up buying a pub. Interesting. Right? And, and he probably never would have thought that that would have been the business for him from the outset. But when he started looking at what I had for sale at the time, it was when I had my office, that was the business that really fit. And one of the first steps in our process is we used to send people on a secret shopper mission. So it's, it's always confidential when a business is for sale, you don't want to tip, right. tip well, anyone's hand. Yeah. So he went there on a Friday and a Saturday night and he sat there in the corner and had a few drinks and observed what was going on in the business. And when he came in to see me on Monday morning, he had a drawing of the establishment. <laughs> And he said to me, when it fills up late at night, the server has to come all the way over here, <laughs> the other side, and she takes our orders and then she goes all the way across and she places the orders in the terminal. And then she waits there while the bartender makes the drinks and then she carries them all the way across. And he said, if I add another terminal over here and she can input the orders before she crosses the floor, then I think I can get her to go from three circuits per hour to four. Wow. Which means I can increase capacity by 30%. So is the engineer? Exactly. Yeah, of course. Right? And so, and so this is an example of identifying a problem that he knew how to fix because he was seeing that people were finishing their drinks and waiting for her. And he thought, if I can increase the service frequency, I'll be able to sell more drinks or, or not, maybe not sell as more drinks to the same person, but maybe get the table to turn over more quickly. Yeah, or, and provide higher level of customer service and a better experience yeah. and all of that good stuff. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's a great example for us to summarize and, and we'll bring this conversation to an end, uh, David, because I think it, it encompasses so many of the things that we've been talking about. One is, like you said, identifying that criteria, but it points out what I often talk about is what he had to analyze as well is, do I want that customer facing interaction? Do I want to deal with the good and the bad of that? The irate customer, the younger, uh, angry customer, the unhappy customer, the drunk customer, all mm -hmm. of those things he had to. And part of the, the key takeaway there is by going and spending time there, he was able to envision himself in that role, owning that business, dealing with everything that happens, the good and the not so good. Yeah. So that's part of it. That's a key part of it. And then he identified very quickly I can make this business better. This is a good yeah. business, has a solid clientele. One of his criteria was not being dependent on, you know, one big client or five big clients. So that was a criteria for him. And so all of those things. But the, one of the key things that sometimes people have to be careful with is honestly assessing how much they want to have contact with the customer or the mm -hmm. public in this case. Yeah. 
Yeah. That's an honest assessment you have to make. That's one of the key criterias. So I think that example encompasses all of those things. Yeah. All right, let's wrap it up. Um, let's talk a little bit again about the webinar because we're going to dive, as I said at the beginning, into much more detail on this topic. We're going to get more into the advantages and disadvantages. We're going to walk through David. David laid out at a very high level the kind of some of the steps in the process, but we're going to walk you through that. And then we're going to provide even more examples on this criteria approach of identifying and helping you identify what might be a good fit for you. Uh, so this is going to be on October 9th at 7 p.m. Central Time. And it's free, but you need to register if you want to join us. So just text the word biz, B-I-Z, to 31996, and I will send you the link. So join us for that free How to Buy a Business webinar. So David, what's uh, one thing you want us to take away from this conversation we've had today about buying a business? Sure. Um, one of the things that I often do when I'm trying to work out a problem or consider a situation with small business is I try to take a step back and I think, what would the really big guys do? You know, the big business people. And one of the things that I've noticed in the media is that we very rarely hear about a giant Fortune 500 company starting a new business. Good but observation, we, yeah. We hear all the time about how they acquire business. They acquire. And, and the reason for this is, I believe, is that if you're the chairman or the president of a big company and you've got shareholder money that's been entrusted to you, you are accountable to make sure that you make the best decision and that you can turn that cash into some kind of cash flow. And that's why every time I think that they will consistently buy businesses over starting them because they can then say to their investors, look what I did with the money. I, I'm very careful with your money and I bought this thing because it makes money and there's synergies and we're going to be able to improve it. So, so that's one thing I like to look at is what do the big guys do? Um, and you know, the only exception to that really that I see is when there's a new technology involved, you know, when, when cell phones right. were invented, you know, yeah, some cell phone companies started up obviously, but you don't hear about, you know, a hotel chain going to build 500 new hotels. Mm -hmm. Right. They'll go buy a, an existing small uh, regional chain yeah, and rebrand it. Um, yeah, I, I think that's a great summary and it, because it also touches on the key takeaway for me from this conversation is that perspective of looking at it as an investor, not as a small business or even an entrepreneur, but that, that investor hat is what has to be on when you are evaluating looking at a business. Um, and I, so, so for me, that's, that's the key takeaway from our conversation. Uh, where do you want us to go online to find out more about you? Sure. Um, the best place to go online is davidcbarnett.com. It's my blog site. And from there, there's links to all the other content that I have out there. And uh, most importantly, if people are interested in business deals, sign up for my email list, which you can do on that site. And, I, and you choose which topics interest you. And I send out things almost every day, depending on what topics you check off. But thoughts, ideas, or lessons about buying, selling, financing, and managing businesses. Yeah, what I like about your content is it's uh, it's actionable. It's not you know highly polished. It's 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 uh, and I don't mean that in a bad way, but in other words, it's it's <laughs> real stuff. You know what I mean? It's not fluff. It's uh, good, real, actionable, based on your experiences content, and that's what I love about it. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Um, so again, join us for the webinar. Also, if you want to learn more about this topic, which I'm sure if you're listening, you do. Uh, go to the show notes page. Again, you can just text biz to 31996 
31996. And I'll send you the link. Download this uh, guide. It's, it's called, again, Six Stupid Things People Do When Trying to Buy a Business. It's a great, it's, it's kind of comical in the title, but it's, but it's truth. Uh, and so that'll give you some more education. And then we'll talk about a lot more of these things on the webinar. So once again, this is Henry Lopez. Thanks for joining us for this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was David Barnett. We release new episodes every Monday morning. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on uh, Spotify, on Google Podcasts, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around, a watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom, and a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style. All for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com.